Welcome back to today's third, in, part three of the introduction to Rambam Sefer HaMitzvot. It's the last of the introductions. We will begin with the mitzvot next time. We opened up discussing just a quick audio, uh, quick biographical uh, sketch of who we were dealing with, the various characters. We then moved on last year to discuss to discuss the Ramban and the where the count of six thirteen even comes from. And today, what I want to discuss is the Shorashim of the Rambam. Shorashim meaning to Shoresh, a root, a root. In this case, principles of the Rambam. You see, what the Rambam points out in his introduction to the Sefer HaMitzvos is that you need to have principles that are going to guide you, which are going to help you decide what are mitzvahs that will make it into your list and what are not. Because if you put everything that you think is a mitzvah, a command to do or a command not to do, into your list, you're going to end up with a count that far exceeds 613. So you need to have some sort of principles, and therefore he formulates in the introduction to his work, the uh, Sefer HaMitzvot, 14 principles, which are going to be his guideposts for what mitzvot make it in and what mitzvot make it out. Now, two important uh, things to think about. Number one is that we mentioned in the first year, the Rambam kind of is using Sefer HaMitzvot to right against the Baal Halachas Gadolos, the Bahag, the, uh, which who had his own formulation. So much of, the time, much of the time when the Ram will be like, some people say this, but they're wrong, that's what he means. And therefore when the Ramban, Nachmanides, came along and wrote a commentary on Sefer Mitzvot, writing a, about the places where he disagrees with Rambam, there are many times where he doesn't disagree with the Rambam, but what he's trying to do is defend the Bahag. Kind of saying like, even though I don't agree with the Bahag, but he's not as crazy as you think, Rambam. Even though I, I think the Bahag might not be right, he's not you know, coming out of left field, but this is the reason and the rationale behind the Bahag. So that's number one. And number two is interesting. When you read the introduction to Sefer Mitzvot, the Rambam writes, now that I've finished writing my magnum opus, the Parish on Mishnayos, she thought that would be his lasting legacy, I am now going to write a book documenting all of the Mitzvot, the Yad HaChazaka, the Mishnah Torah. And he says, I need to write an introductory, an introductory book to this book, Mishnah Torah, so now I'm going to write the Sefer HaMitzvah. The Sefer HaMitzvah is actually an introduction to the Yad Chazaka, and now we're doing the introduction to the introduction. It's more fun that way. So what we're going to do today is, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do today now and what we're, not, what we're not going to do. These 14 principles, there's a tremendous amount in these 14 principles, and once you read with the Ramban, you have just a whole world here. In fact, I was talking to one of my friends last night, and he said that, he heard from Ravon Lichtenstein that if someone really wants to understand and get the real yidios, get real depth and breadth in Torah, they should go through the Rambam with the Ramban's commentary and Sefer Mitzvahs. So we're not going to do that. Today we're going to try to sum it up in just a few short minutes. So what I want to do is go through the 14. And I pulled out on your page, you see just a couple of comments on each of the 14 just to help us and elucidate a little bit what's going on here, just to give us understanding so we can walk away with a bit of an understanding of the 14. And that's all. What I don't want to do is get, it, get involved in the weeds of all the 14. I don't want to get involved, especially you'll see the second principle. There is a tremendous, on the, on the Bima, the second principle is a lot of controversy around. You'll, when I read it, you'll see why there's a lot of controversy around. We're not going to get into the depth, go into in-depth, I'm sorry, 
We just don't have time for that. I just kind of want to give an overview of these are mitzvahs that make it in, these are the mitzvahs that don't make it in. This is why the Rambam chooses to put the mitzvahs that we're going to learn over the next year together in the Mishnah Torah. And excuse me, in the, in the, in the uh, Sefer mitzvahs. Does that work? Yes? No? Okay, fine. So, let's begin then. Says the Rambam. This is in the, his introduction to the Sefer HaMitzvahs. The first of these principles, the number one principle of what makes it in, is that it is inappropriate to count rabbinic commandments in this category. We don't count the rabbanans in the category of mitzvahs to arises. Seems pretty obvious, right? Seems pretty intuitive. Now, if you turn the page, we're going to do a little bit of turning now. You see, you look at the first principle where I brought down. Says the Rambam, let me explain what I'm talking about. You should know that it is truly, it is not appropriate to bring up this topic to explain it. For since the words of the Talmud Makos, we, remember we saw the Gemara Makos from some law, you said there are 630 commandments, stated to Moshe at Sinai. How can we say something that is rabbinic? It's, it's, it purely states, it clearly states, they are stated to Moses at Sinai. How can we say about something rabbinic that is included in the count? However, we have been prompted to it. I mean, the Ramah is saying, like, it's almost ridiculous to even formulate this as one of the principles. Let me tell you what doesn't make it onto the list of Doraisas, the Rabbanans. Obvious, right? So why would I say this? What's the point of it? So it says the Rambam, because there's always that one guy who said it, namely the Bahak. How can we say about Slam Rabbinic as including the count? How have we been prompted to it? Because many erred and counted the Hanukkah lights and the reading of the Megillah among the positive commandments. There are those who counted Megillah Esther and the uh, obligation to light the Hanukkah candles, which, by the way, I hope to speak about on Thursday. Rosh Chodesh Kislev. Thanksgiving, there's a lot of overlap among the positive commandments. Now, here's actually the more uh, striking part. And likewise, the hundreds of blessings each day, okay, that we know, comforting the mourners, visiting the sick, burying the dead, clothing the naked, calculating the seasons and eight days in which we complete the recitation of Hala. All these are rabbinics. I think the striking part is that he counts Bikr Cholim and Nichem Avelim as rabbinic. Which we will, will, will get to hopefully in a few weeks. But, um. What does he mean by calculating the season? Uh, similar to to some extent. Really? Yeah, I'm not exactly, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure which aspect of it. But so, if we just silence our cell phones, thank you. I don't, the calendar's the rice. I don't know, I don't know exactly what he means by it. I'm not sure. But what his point is that there are those who count these things in the list. So, obviously, the question we now have to all ask ourselves is like, why in the world will you include something that's purely, cure, it's cure, clearly rabbinic? The Hanukkah story did not happen to many, many years after Moses got the Torah at Har Sinai. That we can all agree on, even those who have questions about the historical veracity of when exactly Hanukkah took place. Everyone knows exactly, knows it, it did not take place at Har Sinai. So why in the world would the Baha'i even think of putting it in the list? So that's a, a very astute comment, and I want to discuss that on Thursday. That may, that may be an answer. Yeah, you're saying that perhaps there's a concept of uh, pursuing Nisa, of, of uh, publicizing the nace that Hashem did for us, and that may be what he's talking about. So that's definitely something we're going to talk about. We may even will touch on it today. I wasn't going to we'll touch on it today. But, so I'll tell you, I, I, so I was talking to the same, my friend, same friend last night, Reverend Noah Goldstein, is a Rosh, Kol, uh, a Rosh Chabura in the Kol in Chicago. He said to me, I said, do you have any answer for this? He said, if the Ramban didn't have an answer, why are you asking me this question? <laughs> but I'll tell you, the, um, the Rambam tries to give some sort of justification, because it gets it so bad. 
even the Rambam felt the need to give a justification and then just like, you know, go, go swipe his hand, forget it. He says as follows, it appears to me what led them to make, what led them to this is that we make the blessing on the commandments, Baruch Hashem Mitzvosav we say, blessed be thou, you are God, thou art Lord, using the Birnbaum or the Koran, uh, who has sanctified us with the commandments, in which the Gemara already asked the question, how can we say God has sanctified us with the commandment to Lane Megillah, to do any of the mitzvahs de Rabbanans when God didn't sanctify us, it came from Chachamim. And therefore, says the Rambam, based on the Gemara, the Gemara in Shabbos, when were we commanded on lighting the Megillah? On lighting the Megillah? No, we weren't commanded on lighting the Megillah. We're commanded... On, on lighting the Hanukkah candles and reading the Megillah. Although sometimes at a certain point on Purim, maybe we think we're commanded to light the Megillah. But that's the nature of the day. And when are we commanded? Because the Pasuk tells us, Lo Sasor, that we're not supposed to veer from the words of Chazal, meaning to say, how do we know why are the words of Chazal, our sages, binding? Because the Torah tells us, listen to the words of the sages. So much so there's a prohibition to veer from the words of the sages. And therefore, because now that gives the words of the sages, the, the binding power to instill and institute mitzvos. So therefore, we can say, Asher Kishon Mitzvosav, meaning God commanded us to listen to the sages who told us to light the candles, to read the Megillah. So, says the Ramban, if this is true, if this is true, that would be a blanket for all of them. Exactly. So, that, to the, so, so uh, one, 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 one. Okay, so number one, it says the Rambam, if this is true, that they're basing it on the fact that the Torah says that, excuse me, that Chazal were, uh, we listen to Chazal because the Torah says, follow the words of the sages, so then why is the, the Baha'i only counting a couple of the mitzvahs, count all of them? So that's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says, I can't be right. I can't be right that my theory that the reason why he counts these mitzvahs to Rabbanan is because we have an obligation to listen, a biblical obligation to listen to the words of the rabbis, because if that is true, then it should be all the Rabbanan. See, that's what the Rambam says. Good. But in by reason... So in by, and, and, and Elliot are raising a, a, more, a more crucial point, and that's as follows. Says the Ramban, excuse me, Rabbi Dr. Maimonides, I have a problem. If you are telling me that the obligation to listen to the words of, uh, of the rabbis comes, is biblical, which everyone's going to agree to, but the way in which you're formulating is that there's a biblical command to listen to the, listen to the sages so that if one were not to light the candles on, on Hanukkah, seemingly not only they violating a rabbinic prohibition, a rabbinic ask command, they're also now in violation of a biblical prohibition of not listening to the of not listening to the words of the sages. As you're saying, what you're essentially doing is you're blurring the distinction between Durabanan and Duraisa. What is the point of saying we have Durabanans and Duraisas, biblical commands and rabbinic commands, if what the Rambam is essentially saying is every rabbinic command really is a biblical command of listening to the words of the sages. And if that is so, we have many principles, many principles which we utilize, which are specifically targeted to the fact that there are distinctions between Durabanan and Duraisas. Give me the most famous one. That when we have a case of doubt, do, is something a certain way or something not a certain way? We, got, we touched upon this a little bit Friday night. When it's biblical, we go l'chum, we go, we're stringent. When it's durabanon, then we go l'kula. Well, according to the Rambam, says, says Nachmanides, you've obliterated this entire principle. Why? Because you could never have a case of suffolk durabanon, a case of rabbinic doubt, because every case of rabbinic doubt is really a case of biblical doubt, because you're not listening to the words of the sages. This is what the Ramban says. So it opens up a couple of questions. Number one is, what's going on here? 
Number two is also, if this is true, that the Rambam says the reason we have to listen to the words of the sages is because the Torah says we have to, and the Ramban's like, no, it can't be, so then, of course, the Ramban, why do we listen to the words of the sages? Like, what's his, what's his reason for listening to the words of the sages if it can't be in the Torah? I mean, I don't want to, I don't want, I just have a lot to say right now, so wait, say the question at the end if you can. I'll give you another principle. Gemara Msachim, Andav, Hey Amid, Olive, going to Hey Amid Bay says as follows. We trust people who we normally don't trust, as in, who normally don't, don't give me one second, don't, normally don't have nemanas, don't have trust in court. We trust them to check a house for chametz. Meaning to say, if a cotton, a child says, or a woman says, this house is clean, I checked it, we believe them. The Gemara says, I don't understand. Normally when it comes to cases that are that require nemanis, uh, testimony, we do not rely on the testimony of Nashim Vikatanim. So why do we listen, uh, listen here? So the Gemara goes back and forth, and ultimately the Gemara answers and says, one minute, what's going on here? So we know, on Erev Pesach, we do a couple things. We search the house for chametz, but what else do we do? What do we say? Kol chamira. All chametz I have should be nullified, nullified should be void, should be hefker, whatever, that, whatever exactly we're doing there. Well, the Gemara tells us once we say all our chametz is null and void, we've now eliminated the biblical issue of, ha- of ownership of chametz. So the reason we're checking our house for chametz is not biblical, but it's only rabbinic for whatever reason, because we're afraid that it, even if you, you, you say my Danish is null and void, well, if you find a Danish on Pesach it's, and it looks good, maybe you'll take a bite out of it. So because we have the issue that we don't want to run into the fact that we will see a null and void piece of dust, which is a beautiful, delicious Danish, which is oozing out chocolate. So, Durabanan, the rabbis instituted, we still have to check our homes. Well, it's therefore, the Gemara says, at this point in Erev Pesach, once you have declared all your chametz to be null and void, now we're only dealing in the realm of Durabanan. Hemnunu Rabbanan al-Rabbanan. The Rabbanan say, we trust, we, tr- we will trust a child, a child's testimony on a rabbinic stricture in this case. So here again, says the Ramban, Nachmanides. If you blur the distinction between biblical commands and rabbinic commands, then we've also eliminated We've eliminated it because, I, want to, I just want to push it again. Uh, why, we, why have we eliminated it? Because every rabbinic command is also a biblical command. So I don't think it's the strongest question. I, I feel you're going to say this because what we'll say is as follows. Chazal, our sages instituted Rabbanans. And when they instituted Rabbanans, they said, and these, when it's a Rabbanan, although you have to listen to us because of Losas, or you have to listen to us because the Torah says so, we instituted in, and we orchestrated in the way in which we instituted the Takana, that if it's a doubt, you don't have to listen to us. It's a suffix. Well, no, it's a suffix. When it's a doubt, we could trust the Katan. It's also rather interesting, parenthetically, or maybe it's actually very much related, this that we say when it's a rabbinic we go lenient when it's biblical we go stringent that itself is subject to debate is that a biblical command or a rabbinic command the Rambam is of the opinion that's actually on a level of deraisa even a suffolk deraisa is lakula that also I think plays into it as well that also plays into it as well and I think there's a lot more to say in this. I don't want to get bogged down, but also that you can ask, what, what's the nature of this? Why exactly are we going l'chumr? Are we going l'chumr because the stakes are higher? Right? The stakes are higher because you might actually be, eat, eat, let's say you might end up eating pig. If there's a suffix, is there a pig in here? Not pig in here. The stakes are much higher. You can eat pig. Or if it's a rabbanon, okay, the stakes are lower. Or maybe, no, it's just, it's just something about the very fact that it's a derisa that we have to follow it. Okay, but I don't want to get into that. Why am I saying all this? 
Why did I get on this little bit tangent? So when the Rambam says here, because right here, so the Rambam here says, why do we have to listen to, why, do, why would the Vahag count these mitzvahs, the Rabbanon, says the, says the Rambam, because maybe there's a biblical command to, for these mitzvahs, which what the Rambam says, well, if you've obliterated the difference, you've, you've blurred the lines, you've blurred the distinction between the Rabbanon and the Raisa. And the answer we gave, according to the Rambam, is, I think a very simple, intuitive one, and that is, no, when, when the sages instituted these Durabanans, they also said, and in the case of doubt, you don't have to go to Chumrah. There happens to be a bit of more of an interesting answer, which Michael Rosenzweig put forth, I thought it was actually quite fascinating, and that was as follows. There are many Durabanans, many Durabanans that one can argue, although the rabbis are the ones who instituted it, what's backing them is some sort of more derisive principle some sort of derisive motif, if you will. And we'll, let's, use, let's use Yair's example, although we may, be, uh, we may repeat it again on Thursday. Halal. Halal itself, and by the way, the Rambam points this out, the Rambam's like, Halal, how can Halal be Daraisa? It's words from Tehillim. It's words from Tehillim, not going to be Daraisa. Now anyone who was here for the, the prayer share last year, we quoted Shubh Zarashba on this, but that's just for those who remember or take notes. But how can Halal be Daraisa, right? It's words from Halal. Dovid Amel came way later. So, what may be going on here is, although hollow was rabbinically instituted, but it was based off some larger principle of when you experience a nace, when you experience some sort of salvation, you have an obligation to praise God. How you praise God is so then Chazal come along and say, we'll give you some of the tools, we'll give you some structure how to do it. But in the human second, but in the event that you don't praise God, you're actually not only you're actually in violation of some sort of larger uh principle. Yeah. Yeah, but the Shir Shalyom that we say every day, supposedly, which is also from Tehillim, supposedly was also sent in the base of Mikdash. That's fine. Right? That's fine, but Dovid Melch was before this. Dovid Melch was before that. We're talking about in Harsinai. Oh, in Harsinai. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you a couple other examples. Um, I'll, actually, I'll, I'll give examples that have come up over the course of this year from various questions I've gotten. Um, let's see. Someone asked me this year, I don't know who it was about Shabbos. The, Ram, the Ram, Ramban, Nachmanis, actually makes this comment. He says, a person who's a Talmud Chacham, who knows how to basically game the system, can operate their business on Shabbos. Why? He says, because ultimately, think about what ha- if you own a store, what biblical prohibition are you, being, are you violating? You might be violating carrying, you might... In the store itself? Not in. Not in the store itself. What's the problem with handling money? It's muksa because you might come to write. He goes, hire a non-Jew to like, do the parts that may actually be an issue, and you can really have your store operate kadasu kadin. Says the Ramban, you're still over a biblical prohibition of you have to rest on Shabbos. It's more of a meta-biblical prohibition, and therefore, again, I think what you can argue is there are certain rabbinic strictures, certain rabbinic ideas that behind them are biblical precepts. I'll give you... Uh, It could be. The lack of Shabbos? Yeah, yeah, could be, for sure. The, the lack of breath? Yeah, yes, for sure. I thought money, the issue was weighing and measuring. No, the money is the money, the issue is you might come to write. Right. Which makes it like, like you know, they tell you, sign the receipt. There's also issues. That's the way to go. That, that's that's, that's their abundance as well. Oh, it is? That's their abundance as well. Uh, which is, can't you hire a, a non-Jew Yes, but that, that's, that's the Ramban's point. You can hire a non-Jew to do all these things. And you can stand in your store and say, do this, do that, do this. You know, there's no, 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 there's
Okay, so now we're getting into more of uh, benefit from Shabbos work, which might be only be the Rabbana. But the, again, what the point I'm trying to highlight is behind these rabbinic things, there may be a biblical principle. I'll give you another, I'll give you, uh, another one, if you will. What else came up this year? You know what? Let's, let's do the one before. Uh, Beaker Cholim. Beaker Cholim. The Rambam says Beaker Cholim is only the Rabbanon, but extends from the Pasuk of Yahav Kamocha, which is fascinating. That the actual action of Bikr might be Durabanan, but if you do it the wrong way, you may be in violation of Yahaf Recha Kamocha. So again, the point is that there are certain meta Arisa principles. That one, the actual action, if I were to look at the action, what action am I doing now by laying the Megillah? It's a Durabanan. But I am also somehow fulfilling a more Arisa principle of praising Hashem. Therefore, therefore, Perhaps one can also argue that when the Rambam says that every Durabanan has a Duraisa, he doesn't mean literally every Durabanan, but what he's trying to say is there are many, many Durabanans, or perhaps the Durabanans here, that the Bahag is saying, that he counts in the list. That's probably a better way of looking at it. The Durabanans the Bahag counts in the list. The specific ones he counts in the list, like Megillah and Hanukkah, it's because these are the ones behind it have a larger meta Duraisa principle. I think it's an interesting idea. Any thoughts on that? I mean, if, if you have the larger principle, and that's a Dura Raisa, why do you need the Dura Raisa as an example of the, of the Dura Raisa? It's kind of, uh, it's unnecessary. It, no, it, 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 there are, there are, there are, you have to, you have to praise God when something happens. You experience a miracle. Come the rabbis and say, we're going to give you a which is interesting because that becomes a debate. That the question one has to ask themselves based off this is, and Cholmoy is everything Asr until proven Mutter, everything, or everything Mutter until proven Asr. There are those who want to argue, I believe Rav has an essay on this, the Karen Ora has an essay on this, Mishnah Zayvitz has an essay on this, that all work on Cholmoy, the actual work itself, whatever is prohibited is Durabanon, but the reason they did it is because one is not allowed to treat Cholmoy like a regular day. That's Daraisa. The fact that the Cholomot has to be distinct and different than a regular weekday, that's a Daraisa principle. How do you do that? Well, it's very unclear, so the rabbis came along and said, well, we'll help you. Don't do this type of work. Don't do that type of work. Don't do this type of work. Oh, but in the event that you're going to lose a lot of money, so now we give you a dispensation. So that's kind of like what's going on here. So I think it's a fascinating idea that how much power, in a way, Chazal were given, that they can actually utilize Daraisa principles by instituting Darabana. So someone's not fulfilling the same vision is he violating the Rabbanon and the Raisa? It seems, to, I, I, there, there is an element of Yahav Tarech We're discuss Yahav Tarech in a few weeks from time, but there definitely is an element of one is able to violate Yahav Tarech HaKamocha. I just talk, I've talked many times, really because I got it from my Rebbe Feldman, that we often think of Yahav Tarech HaKamocha as a positive thing. Oh, be nice to your neighbor. You know, bring him a gift when he moves in, be nice. But there are many Rishonim who actually only learn it as a negative. Don't do unto your friend what you don't want done to yourself. This is why I said I don't want to get into the weeds because like there are a lot more questions and answers on this one. It, and, and the Ram himself, kind of the Ram is like, yeah, hey, I don't know what's going on here. And he's like, I, I, I'm only saying, like, you would think I wouldn't even have to start the list stating the obvious. It's like the teacher gets up there the first day and, and says, like, no one has to do something crazy. The reason they're saying that is because they know there are some kids who just do wild things. So, yeah, you're right. It, it, it is a little troublesome. I want to move on from here. So, Imbar, is it really quick? Okay, so then, again, I don't, I don't want to get bogged down because there's a lot more to do and we're not going to get to all of it. Okay?
we can discuss afterwards. Okay, what's the second principle? This is perhaps the most controversial of all the principles, and that is, the second principle is, it is inappropriate to count anything that we learn from the 13 hermeneutic principles through which the Torah is expounded on, or from technical inclusion. Meaning to say, that we say every day, or we should say every day, Rabbi Shmuel Omer, Bishlosha Asimidus, the Torah Nidrashat Behem. There are 13 ways, and there's another price there, where there's 24 ways, that the Torah is, we derive principles from the Torah, meaning things are not explicitly in the Torah, but we derive things from the Torah. And here as well, the Rambam says anything learned from that, we're not going to add to this list. This is, again, a minefield. I'm going to just leave it at that. Give me one second here. How much time do we have? Two hours. Two hours. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go uh, another, another four or five minutes. Okay, the third commandment is it is inappropriate to count. The third principle, excuse me, is that it's inappropriate to count commandments that are not practiced for all generations. If there's a commandment in the Torah that's not for all generations, we don't count it. Look at the Rambam's example. Look in three. It's on page number two. Um, for instance, he says, when the Torah was given at Har Sinai, we say, be ready on the third day to accept the Torah. That was a command to the Jewish people to be ready on the third day. Well, that was just a uh, for them in that generation. This is under three. Furthermore, it says, Neither shall the flocks and the herds graze on Harsinai. Harsinai was sanctified, consecrated during the, during the time in which the Torah was given. People weren't allowed to go on the mountain. The animals were not allowed to go on the mountain. That was a temporary prohibition. Subsequent to that, we can go on the mountain. In fact, you ask any Israeli cab driver, they'll take you to a random mountain in the middle of Israel and say, Hop up in the mountain. That's Harsinai. Yeah. I mean, even the Torah says it was temporary. Correct. And we actually even derive the principle of, uh, we would derive principles from there that, it, I mean, Okay, yeah, correct. We derive certain principles from there as well. <laughs> no, no, in the sense we, we derive that anything that uh, is instituted needs a bezin, it's got a meaning to it. Okay, fine. But he says, he, he goes on to quote Hargrizim and Harevel. The fact that we, uh, when we went to Israel, we said Hargrizim and Harevel. These are all temporary things that we aren't going to count. Now, lest you think this is, oh, Back though, in the biblical stories, the, the Torah, the certain commandments were given. So there's actually a fascinating Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim Salvechik, who says this is more applicable than you think. And this actually comes to last week's shir. We have a command every single day to recite twice a day. Krishma, Krishma. We also have a command to mention. It says the Mishnah in Brachos, Perik Aleph Mishnah Hey. Maskirin Yitzias Betrayim Belelos. Meaning to say, and this is a Mishnah we all are familiar with because it comes up in the Haggadah. That when we say Krishma, Shema Yisrael Vayimishma, we also say Vayomer at night. Why do we say Vayomer at night? So the Mishnah tells us because there's an obligation to mention Yitzias Betrayim every single day. Mention the fact we're taking it out of Mitrayim every single day. Well, guess who doesn't count that obligation in their list? The Rambam. And everyone scratched their head like, what do you mean? It's like explicit. One has to count the obligation that we left the tribe in that list. Why would he not count in the list? So the two answers given, both are given from Rav Chaim. One is written in a few places. One I actually I haven't seen inside in a while, but I think it's in the yard that Shirem the Rav brings it down. So it could be. The reason why the Ram doesn't count Yitzhiz Betrayim in the list is because Rav Chaim says there's two obligations when it comes to remembering Yitzhiz Betrayim. There is the obligation of Sipor Yitzhiz Betrayim, of talking about it. That comes up once a year. And then there's the obligation to remember it every single day. Think of Sipi Yitzhiz Betrayim as like Mother's Day. 
I always, I think it's ridiculous when you have the person like, oh, every day is Mother's Day, so why am I going to celebrate it? Yeah, but you don't. You don't bring your mother, mother flowers every single day. Let's be honest. So we have, once a year, we say set aside, talk about Yisidu Trayim, that's the din of Sipor. It looks different. A, we're talking about it, Rav Chaim says that the Zechira, the, the, uh, the remembrance we do every day is just a remembrance. It's between you and yourself. You just say it to yourself. Whereas a Sipor, there's a whole structure how you do what you're supposed to say it to your children, to other people. There's a back and forth, a give and take. That give and take, the Manashtan, in fact, is very much part of the Sipor. It's supposed to be a whole a structure to how it looks that it's more than just I'm mentioning it, but it's coming as part of the Mesora. He also points out that when you just say it, okay, so I'm remembering what God did for us. When you say it over as a Sipor, as a, as a story, that actually engenders the obligation now to of, of Halab. Of Shira Vesishbachel. The hollow we do Seder night is a fundamentally different hollow than the hollow we're going to do Thursday, Friday this week, because that's just a hollow we say, Rosh Chodesh is actually a minhag. Or the hollow on a Yom Tif, which is a hollow we say because it's a, a, a Yom Tov. The hollow on Seder night is a hollow we say because of the Nase. It's a very different hollow. There's differences between the C4, the, the fact we're sitting around saying it Seder night, versus the remembrance every single day. Now the question is so why, is there, why? why does the Rambam not count it in the list? Says Rav Chaim, you see, because there's one other distinction. Between the halal, the, the, excuse me, the sipur the, 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 the obligation to say it over once a year, and the zechira every single night. Where sipur yitzvotrayim, as we said, it, you say it over within the structure of a family, you're back and forth, and engenders a, shir, a shira's halal v'sishbachos. The last distinction is, the reason we say it every single day is because what we're trying to do is remember what was the point of yitzvotrayim. Not just that we became a nation, but says the Ramban and Parshish Bo, it's through Yetzirah's Betrayim we remember that God exists, that God knows what's going on in this world, and that God is intimately involved in what's going on in this world. In a word, what we're doing is, we're being Mechabal Omach HaShemayim. We're accepting upon ourselves the yoke of heaven when we remember the nace of Yetzirah's Betrayim every single day. And if that is true, so says the Rechayim, that there is an obligation to remember and see the time every day, but the Rambam counts it as part of Krishma. Now there's another approach. Rav Chaim has a different answer. Not that it's part of Krishma, but look at this Mishnah that we all are familiar with. Maskinu Tzitzit Rayim Belelos. We have an obligation to say Vayomer at night. Why? Because if they're mentioned, Zechir Tzitzit Rayim at night. Omer Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria says, Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria, Rabbi Anikim Kibben Shiv Mishan of Lozachis, he's talking about Yitzhak Rabbalelos. I'm almost, I am like I'm 70 years old. What do you mean, like I'm 70 years old? So it's the, the famous story in Brachos that he was appointed one night to be the Nasi, the leader, but he was a young Sayyid, a young man. So he woke up the next day, he looked old, now everyone listened to him. Good. Ah, to Joseph ben Zoma, he said, I thought. So he said, I didn't know there was an obligation, or I didn't know where the obligation stemmed from to mention Yitzhak Betrayim at night. At this point, you can all spill your wine by mistake. Ah, to Joshua Ben Zoma, until Ben Zoma comes along and says, That's an obligation to remember the day that you came out of Egypt all the days of your life. The words imply the days of your life. And kol yemei chayecha, the extra word kol means in- to include the night, a dual obligation both during the day and at night to mention Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim. V'chachamim omrim, say the sages say chazal, no. Yemei chayecha ha'olam hazeh, the words of, of yemei chayecha are this, wor- are this world, 
All is your life are to include the messianic era, meaning to say that even when Mashiach comes, we experience a greater salvation than Yetzirah Mitzrayim, even then we still have an obligation to mention Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Which implies, we say, we say this every single year on the Seder, says Rav Chaim Salavechik, if you read the Mishnah carefully, what is one of the differences between Benzoma and Chachamim? Benzoma, who in fact we passed and like, and the Chachamim? According to the Chachamim, when is the obligation to recite Krishma? Excuse me, to recite to the Trium? Both now and when Mashiach comes. Whereas Benzoma says no. The obliga- we read the Pasuk to tell us you recite Krishma during the day, de- excuse me, Yitzhak the Trium during the day and at night. Implying that when Mashiach comes, there's no obligation to mention Yitzhak and Trium. Why would that be? As we just said, because perhaps because the salvation will be so much greater, we're not going to talk about the smaller salvation. It's kind of like World War I was going to the, the war to end all wars, and then World War II came around, and like World War I is now just in the history books. That's what happens. Well, says Rav Chaim, if this is true, do we possibly Ben Zoma that when Mashiach comes, we're not going to mention Jesus Rahim every single day? It's not a mitzvah that's there to last. It's a mitzvah until Mashiach comes. It's not a mitzvah for eternity. And therefore, the Ramah is not going to count in this list because the principle number three is, as we just said, principle number three is, it is inappropriate to count commandments that are not practiced for generations, as in for eternity. Wow. That's awesome, no? Couldn't you also argue that, that according to Benzoma, it's two parts of one of one uh, of one halakha that you need to that you need to count that you need to remember Yitzhak's Mitzrayim day and night, and therefore the Rambam counts it as one? Did you say the Rambam counted uh, remembering Yitzhak's Mitzrayim during the day? No, 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 no he's counted that all. Yeah. But you're, yeah, correct. The oh. Well, well, the that we do count are, are for eternity. Correct. A Torah ain't a Torah is not going to change. It's one of the Yudgimli Karm, one of the 13 principles of the Rambam. Yes. Even when Mashiach comes. Mashiach, the Rambam is of the opinion that when Mashiach comes, quoting Shmuel and Shabbos, there's no difference between nowadays and when Mashiach comes. Eloshibud Malachios Bavad, except we will be in control. We'll be the rulers. And then that happens, we can set. So that's, we're not going to get into, I don't know, what, what the Ramah's conception of Gan Eden is in the Ramban. That's, that's a whole different discussion. There's a Gemara in Nida that talks about Mitzvah's potatoes, lust of love, what Mitzvah's will be nullified what, in the world to come. What does that mean? Not for now. Okay, so now I left you with the rest. You can kind of go through and see what the rest of the principles are, the, the fifth principle, the sixth principle, the seventh principle, etc. Again, I want to just give a basic overview. You can see this can be, this can take many, many shurim, but I want to already begin with the Mitzvah's, but a quick overview of just the, the thought process of the Rambam. So again, today what we saw was the first principle that it's inappropriate to count Rabbanans. Seems obvious, but the Rambam said, oh, perhaps because every, every Rabbanan has their Raisa, which then we asked one minute, if that's true, so you've now gotten rid of all these principles that rely on the fact that they're Rabbanans, to which we gave two answers. We gave an answer that was said it was, no, when the rabbis instituted things, they also instituted it with the caveat that when there's a suffix, or when, it's, when it comes to belief, believing, as in Hamnuna Rabbanan al-Rabbanan, we allow for that. We also give an answer from a Rosenzweig that perhaps the Bahag is saying, I'm counting these specific Durabanans, because these ones actually have the Orisa principles behind them. We then saw the second principle, which was we don't count things that are learned out of the Yudgimel Midosh HaTorah and Drashatim. We didn't really... We, didn't, we weren't there for too long, and then we went to the third principle, and that is, we don't count commandments that are not practiced for all generations, and we said it's not just the biblical stories when God says, don't come on the mountain, but in fact, if Chaim learns out, the fact that we don't count Yitzhiyah Svetraim, the mitzvah that says Yitzhiyah Svetraim every single day, is either because it's part of the mitzvah of Krishma, of Kabbalah Zemach Shemayim, or because it's not going to be around, as Ben Zoman says, when Mashiach comes, I wish you all a wonderful week, and looking forward to Thanksgiving. Well,